Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I am joined today and joined, as always, by my good friend and my business partner, Mr. Jason Johnston Yellen. Hi, Jason. Thank you. I, I like your commitment to as always. Well, I, I wanted to have a good think about it and say, was there a time? And there was a time, but you know what? It's... There was a time. My God. <laughs> Your dad dies one time. You never get to forget it. <laughs> no, we can't even blame the death of your father on this one. There was another reason. Yeah, you dumped me for Matthew Reese in 2018. No, that was all for show. <laughs> and that was 2019. Look, look don't save face. Just because Matthew Reese didn't reciprocate. Don't try and save face now. <laughs> I, I had to... And you're, you're right, it was 2019. Yeah. I literally have no idea which year we're in. <laughs> I had to cut it off with him. He was getting too clingy. You know? <laughs> mm. I have to tell you, over the break, went to see Star Wars mm. with uh, with my kids and my wife. Yeah. And... Um, and this is not going to be a good story because I'm going to forget her name. Kerry Russell? Uh, Kerry Russell, Matthew okay. Reese's wife. Yeah. So, so when Kerry Russell has her scene and you only see her eyes, <laughs> I'm telling my kids in the middle of the movie, I've been in her house. I, <laughs> I've met her husband. <laughs> I was in her kill room. <laughs> and as you can imagine, a 12-year-old and a 9-year-old who are intently trying to watch Star Wars had no time for my nonsense. None at all. <laughs> uh, I tell you, 30 years from now, they'll really appreciate that. <laughs> I was like, wow, I know all about how secretive the scripts were and how difficult it was to download them. Oh, I know so much. I'm like Hollywood, to be honest with you. <laughs> Nah, and my kids were just like, shh. And other people in the theater were like, shh. I was like, what did you I yell? I drive at? a Dodge Stratus. <laughs> I own a Dodge Stratus. <laughs> Do, were other people really shushing you? Hell no. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> no, I always wait until about, what, two weeks after the release date. And then I pick a cinema that has no people in it. Uh, yeah, when we bought our four tickets for the showing, yeah. you, you get to choose your seats. There were no seats taken in oh, the theater. Okay, and uh, but the, and then the next day or two days later, when we showed up for the for the movie, five total seats had been purchased, uh, aside from our four. Uh, so okay, okay. There were nine of us. It looked like a showing of cats on opening night. Fuck. You know what? I think, truth be told, even the theaters that purportedly shown cats. Didn't actually show it. They they didn't even want to subject the uh, the algae in the air, um, or better yet, the yeast. <laughs> I don't know. Well, if you're on a shoreline town, you know the the yeast in the air. Um, is that better? Yeast. <laughs> None of it's better. Let's be honest. <laughs> Listen, let, let me say this. Let me say this because this this is a pot. This is a whiskey podcast. Oh well, you you have to let me say this first. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. A lot but, of yeah. very yeah. positive feedback yeah. surrounding the Indiana Jones conversation. A lot of it. From the last episode. Yes. And we even have to follow up with an update. Okay. Which is Alistair Walker himself reached out to yes. say, I can confirm, chaps, big fan of the franchise. Although, Temple of Doom was garbage and nobody should watch The Crystal Skull. 
Yep. I, you know, it's, it's just another thing that says, Josh, this is, this is why you like Alistair Walker. It's just <laughs> one of those things. Um, <laughs> but what I, what I wanted, because I was about to say something non-whiskey related, I wanted to remind people that whiskey will be in discussion. And I actually wanted to mention the word whiskey within the first eight minutes or so of the podcast, uh, just to remind people that it is a whiskey podcast. Don't we get to say it in the intro? One Nation Under Whiskey? Oh, shit. So they should have known from the get-go. You already covered it. Oh, yeah, you covered it eight minutes ago. (laughs) Oh, wow. So listen, let let me say say one last thing here. (laughs) Because it's about a movie. You understand movie etiquette. And, and this popped into my mind because of you whispering into your kids' ears and I had to question if other people were telling indeed. you to shush, okay? Indeed, indeed. So I'm in the theater last night. By yourself? Uh, well, it was me. And then uh, an older couple sat maybe four seats away from me. <laughs> Never bullets well. And... It's the trailers, which is usually my favorite part of the movie. I absolutely love trailers. And um, and I hear, ding. <gasps> oh, that's a bad precedent. Although maybe it happened one time. They said, oh, forgot to turn it off, turned it off. And it was solved for the rest of the trailers and the movies. Yeah. So she looks at her phone. <laughs> and, and then I hear her to her husband. Harry, they're going to be giving us a call in a minute. She, oh, she, no. She did, she did have an English accent, by the way. So, I'm, you know, I'm not. Oh, that was an English accent? It was like a Monty Python kind of English accent, wasn't it? I tell you, Terry Jones has been a great influence in your life. <laughs> <laughs> and then I hear, ding. <laughs> and, and she says, Harry, it's Margaret. She's going to want to know. <laughs> and <laughs> Four seats away. Was yeah. anybody else in the theater? And then, by, yeah, by the time that second text came in, uh, two other people had come in, and those people looked like they were going to be, you know, a loud, raucous bunch, you know, just college kids kind of. Young people is what you're saying. It's the young people. (laughs) I could tell those young people were up to no good the second I laid my eyes on them. Walking into a serious Adam Sandler movie. (laughs) Yeah, those college kids were like, hey, it's Adam Sandler movie. They had no idea what they were getting themselves into. They thought they were walking into Billy Madison. (laughs) I, that's why they said, where, where is the hockey stick? I didn't understand it at first. <laughs> that's Happy Gilmore. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, then that's why they peed themselves. Okay, uh, it all checks out. Um, <laughs> this is tortured for our European listeners. I know. I do apologize. I yeah. <laughs> Very quick aside to your yeah. aside. When I came okay. over to the United States to, to do a study abroad program, they put me in with freshman orientation. I was 22 years old and they put me in with freshman orientation. And uh, we went out into the wilderness and we were bunking in cabins. The first night, all of these 18-year-old dudes, because it was, it was uh, you know, single-sex dorms and what have you, all these 18-year-old dudes are saying to me, so, which is your favorite, Billy Madison or Happy Gilmore? And I was like, 
that sounds awfully like a sex move. Like this is, I I really want to get this right, or this is going to be a very <laughs> awkward time together. And um, and I said, uh, Billy Madison, <laughs> and half of them, of course, went, Nah, it's Happy Gilmore, and the other half went, Welcome, brother, and I had no idea what the hell they were talking about and it, it really did kind of take me making a genuine friend at the University of Puget Sound where I was and saying to them I've, I've got something awkward to ask you yeah. and they went, okay what's a happy Gilmore and a Billy Madison and then they said oh it's Adam Sandler and I was and I had to say who's Adam Sandler and so this was, I was completely wow, out of my depth. And, having, and now having watched both of them, obviously the answer is Happy Gilmore. Yes, the answer is 100% Happy Gilmore. However, you can see why his own production company is called Happy Madison. Right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that all happened in the fall of 1997. Oh, look at that. Back well, in the day. Had- I was 23, Jesus. 23 years ago. <sighs> no, so, I was 23. But it was Bachelor. still 23 years ago. I'm coming 46. Oh my God, okay. I'm going to sit out for a couple of minutes here. This has become really heavy. You finish your aside with a couple and their cell phone. I'm going to think about whiskey. <laughs> I'm going to think about how old I've become. <laughs> whiskey Gilmore. <laughs> so let me let me finish this. Yes, please. Uh, with then we'll get on to garden subject. Yes, of today's I know, I know, I know, I know. But but I need to tell you this. So yes, I'm, I'm getting I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat for so, the more. <laughs> so I'm explaining this story to you with the smile on my face and everything like that. Meanwhile, I've got to tell you, I am fuming mm-hmm. because I need 100 silence in a theater. Because well, you're you're a very easily distracted fellow. You have uh, a you have yes. a little bit of the squirrel about you, where uh, you're like, oh, a noise, oh, yes, a shining light, one hundred percent. And and I have been known to go up to anyone and everyone. I sit down if people are talking. I go up to them and I sit down next to them and I look them square in the eye and I tell them, I need you to to cut it with the conversation. <laughs> and. You would think, why are you going, yeah, why are you doing that? You're going to get, you're going to get yourself hurt. No, people, they just think I'm that crazy old white guy and they just leave me alone. (laughs) He's just another crazy old white guy. Anyway. You're the next falling down. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You and me, what a shame. Um, So, (laughs) so. So did the dog get walked? So all of a sudden, I hear, I'm like, that call's coming in. She's going to take the call. Now, the movie had not started yet. The movie Uh had not started yet. So I'm trying to keep composure. And she picks up the phone. She says, hello. And what you hear is a call from a doctor telling about her diagnosis. What? Everything was fine. She's okay. <laughs> what? Yep, it was benign, which is a good oh thing. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but oh I but I heard every bit of it. HIPAA laws did not I do know, not, right? You know, work in a movie theater. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
Um, so I wow. said, I said, oh my gosh, I've been fuming. Meanwhile, this woman's been trying to escape the idea of what her diagnosis could be. And all I can think is, she left her text machine on. She's taking a call. No, she's really concerned about her own well-being. Oh my! And word. Uh, and then a couple times, maybe three times throughout the the, the <laughs> film, you know, a a text would come in, and I I didn't want to tell her, you know, ma'am, could you please turn the ringer off? Yeah. She's a really old lady, and anyway, so the reason I tell this. Uh, well, it's A, because you were telling me about your Star Wars thing, but also, <laughs> but also... I feel like there's a valuable lesson to be learned here, Jerry Springer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't know what's going on in other people's lives. That's true, Joshua. That's very insightful. And it's it's just as simple as that. And once I heard that, I said, you know what? I'm just going to enjoy this movie. I'm going to let her enjoy the movie and the good news she got. And then I'm going to wake up the next morning, uh, have a little <laughs> breakfast, and uh, hop on a podcast <laughs> recording uh, with Jason where I can talk about whiskey and Gordon Bruce. Oh, I, th- I thought you were going to say where I can talk about how much I've learned and how much I've grown in my brief time in Milwaukee. Uh, no, I think once I fell asleep, I woke up and all that growing was just back to square one. <laughs> Let's not let's not lie to people. Let's not pull the wool over their eyes. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's an honor to finally welcome Gordon Bruce to the show. Yeah, we've talked about wanting him here for a good while. We have. It hasn't worked out for timing for a, for a couple of years, which has been uh, has been tricky. But I am I was really happy to finally sit down with him. Gordon Bruce has got one of the driest wits across the whiskey industry. One of the driest what? Wits. Wits. Oh, wits, yes. You're Inc- you're adding the age. <laughs> one of the driest wits, says Joshua Haddon. Yeah, he's a he's a very dry wit. 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 W-I-T. Yeah, wit. My safe word will be whiskey. Sorry, Rod, what was that? Whiskey. Do you mean whiskey? What? You're saying it weird. Saying what weird? All of it. Where do you get off? I just don't get why you're saying it that way. Why I'm saying what what way? Forget it. I will. I will forget it. Exactly. Perfect. You got it right. Yeah. And and he also whispers. And so I've I've taken many a trip around the the knock do distillery with him and you know many of our listeners have have been around distilleries for those who haven't it's like going around any other factory mm. it's it's got a lot of industrial noises and when gordon bruce is just busy whispering away you get closer and you get closer and you get closer and there have been many times yeah. standing at his distillery I have I have almost had my ear touching his mouth to try and hear what he's saying because and this this is why we've wanted him on the on the pad cost for for so long mm-hmm. he says a lot of absolutely fascinating things and he has never 
yeah. in all my time yeah. being with him, speaking with him, going around the distillery with him, I've never once seen him dumb down the experience. He mm. has only ever presented the distillery as on on a professional level mm-hmm. where and you'll hear it in today's interview there are times when i say to him i don't know what those words mean like you're yeah. the first person i've heard say this what does that mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> i loved that i absolutely loved hearing that yeah <laughs> but but he obviously he he loves his team he loves his distillery he he takes it all very seriously while having a ton of fun doing it mm. and he he lives a stone's throw from the distillery mm-hmm. and so he comes to work with his dogs his dogs are always around the distillery you'll you'll hear little snippets from the dogs uh, as the interview goes along today <laughs> but and and I'm I'm curious from an editing standpoint Joshua are his audible levels on the recording going to be high enough? Are the listeners going to have to crank the dial a little yeah. bit? Yeah. So this, this is what I was going to tell people. And so I'm, I'm glad you, you gave me a bit of runway <laughs> for it. I've met Gordon twice and each time I've had that same experience. He's in, not only is he incredibly soft spoken, his voice sits at an incredibly low register. Mm. Uh, most dogs can't hear him. <laughs> 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 Most Scots people can't hear them, but so I'm gonna I'm gonna have to do some some editing wizardry. But I'll tell you, listening back to this interview, it reminded me. This conversation reminded me why we started a podcast. Mm. Everything you guys discuss is all the geeky stuff that. I, as a whiskey lover, would, would want to hear. Yeah. And then we, as podcast makers, want to deliver. Now, granted, we, we've had great conversations. We've had wonderful people on, on the podcast. We've mm-hmm. had some fun, geeky conversations. This one is back to a level of geeky that we haven't seen since our last Matthew Hoffman episode. Mm, that makes sense. Right where, and and I'm obviously people that are listening to the podcast, they will hear the conversation, but we get so deep into fermentation and yeast mm-hmm. by design, right? And and that is just so very exciting to me again to hear a Scotch whiskey producer talk about yeast when they norm- normally don't talk about yeast, where it's 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 you know to get volume it's to get output it's to get yield and he's saying no let's let's talk about the good old days when we used brewer's yeast let's talk about this newer yeast that allows us to ferment at a higher temperature and you know all this really interesting stuff and to this day gordon bruce remains the only distiller who's allowed me to taste his yeast oh really oh yeah i've 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 dipped a finger uh, in the annoch yeast <sighs> I've I've had Kilhoman yeast. Okay, but that's come to think of it. When you'd said that, I thought to myself, "What is he talking about? We've had yeast everywhere." And then I oh, think, no. "Oh no, no, actually, we haven't." No, no. Now <laughs> yeah. I'm envious that you've had Kilhoman yeast. I got to remedy that the next time yeah, we're on it, Isla. It's in like a, it's in a pressed form. 
Ah, okay. His is uh, Gordon Bruce's mm. is in liquid, as we'll hear, uh, and it's in the yeast store room. And was there what is there a specific note from that yeast that really stood out to you? It's almost like a peach yogurt. So the Kelhoman one <laughs> is almost like a strawberry yogurt. Like if you could do, instead of like a mango lassi, do a strawberry lassi, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that would be it. <laughs> it's the next level, isn't it? Just think for years, it was always, have you tasted so-and-so's new make? Have you tasted, oh no, I haven't had theirs, but I've I've had this new make over here. Now we're on to whose yeast have you tasted? Oh. And between the two of us, yeah. we've got two distilleries named, so... We've now got to ramp this up. we now got to... In 2020, we have yeah. to start tasting more yeast. Now, there was one more thing I wanted to add. To set the scene... For the dear listener, mm. this is the last recording from uh, my time in Scotland at the end of October, beginning of November 2019, mm-hmm. when I was traveling with Jessica Lomas, mm-hmm. uh, who was our, was our new, remains our new uh, European sales manager. Mm-hmm. And this was the same trip where I interviewed Jess for the podcast uh, when we're back in Elgin together. Uh-huh. Okay. So so we are in the 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 tasting room at Knock Do, which produces and Knock Whiskey. Mm-hmm. It's Jessica Lomas, Gordon Bruce, and myself sitting at the table, and the two dogs roaming around underneath us. And what were um, their names? What were the dogs' um, names? I don't, I don't remember. One of them he kept calling Trumpy. Yeah, that's his daughter's dog, and I don't think that's the dog's actual name. Okay. <laughs> he's a he's a good guy for just giving dogs nicknames. So for the longest time, he had Black Dog at the distillery. Oh. That was not Black Dog's name. I, to this day, do not know Black Dog's name. But anytime <laughs> I emailed Gordon, I would say, all my best to Black Dog. Hope he's doing well. <laughs> so so he's a big fan of the dog nicknames. But but that, that's it. So that's the setting. So we're actually... At Nokdu Distillery, mm-hmm. we are sitting there. There, there were a lot of samples on the table, uh, and Gordon, as always, was very generous. And we tasted through new makes. We tasted through very young spirit. Uh, we tasted through mature stuff. We tasted the 125th anniversary 16 year old uh, Dechar Rechar Bourbon cask oh. uh, special release uh, that we'll only mention passing uh, in the interview. Did not come to the United States. Did it, has sure. it, Is it I sold? Like, has it been bottled and sold? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it had been released maybe the week before, the week after uh, we were at the distillery. So anyway, 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 we're going, we're doing it again. We're yeah, tangents sorry, sorry, on sorry, tangents sorry, sorry, on tangents. Sorry. The scene has been set. Mm-hmm. We have described Gordon Bruce. I'm excited to share this interview with the listeners. Without further ado, here we go. We're sitting here at Nokdu uh, with the wonderful Gordon Bruce, distillery manager. 
You've been here for 13 years, but you lived a whiskey life before you came here. Can you tell us briefly, you can be as long-winded as you want to be, what, how did you get into the industry? Where did you find yourself? And what ultimately brought you to oh, do? We will keep it brief, trust me. Uh, 1988, I knocked an office door at Pulteney and asked if there were any jobs going. And that was in John Black's days, the, the, the late, great John Black. And I was fortunate enough to start there a week later as a mushman. Whoa. And so you, you're you not from the Wick area, though? I was born 200 metres from Pulteney. It's so you're from hometown. the Wick area? <laughs> That's my hometown, yes. <laughs> Don't tell people that. <laughs> wow, you, okay, you kept that under wraps for a long time and now we've got you. <laughs> okay, so you would have been a, a man in your in your 20s at that point? Yeah, early 20s. So, so what had you been doing? Had you left Wick? Had you gone elsewhere? Had you done... No, I, ironically enough, I, I left school and I went to college and I did an HND in computer studies. Wow. Which is the ultimate ironies when you see me now, how much I hate computers and technology. <laughs> uh, and I did, did that for two years. And I, no, this shit's never going to catch up. Nobody's going to need a computer. <laughs> Uh, so I went to serve my time as a plumbing heating engineer, okay. which was great, I really enjoyed that. Um, that company went bust just after I finished my time, and then I started in Pulteney. Wow. And I remember working in Pulteney for a couple of weeks, and I think, oh, wow, there's so many different pumps, valves, pipes, and oh, God, I'm, I'm not going to stick about here for too long, and then, hey-ho, 30, 31 years later, I'm still here. Wow. What, what switched for you? Was there a, a certain level of interest that suddenly appeared? I just, the, the, the process is fascinating. Um, and another irony, when I started in Pulteney, I couldn't stand whiskey. <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> Classic uh, Scottish position. Yes, yeah. Uh, you kind of think back to, uh, I think we've all had these nasty young teenage experiences of pinching booze from the parents' cupboards. And Indeed. that tended to be blended whiskies or things that were were not quite so nice, man. but it was for effect rather than quality. Exactly. Got you to a destination. Yes. So then as you're getting into the processes, did the processes help get you into whiskey? Was oh, definitely. You suddenly uh, then saw the, the value of things? Uh, man, you, you wander around Nogdu a couple of times here and uh, we, we see and smell and, and, and learn something new every day at the distillery. The distillery is just a big... It's a big toy box, don't tell my boss I said that, but it's a play thing. <laughs> Every day is literally a school day, and it's, it's fascinating. You can change one wee bit in the process. It's got a knock-on effect later on the process. It's just trying to manage these changes and trying to predict what the changes, what caused effect, and it's, it's just fascinating. It's, it's, it's a great way to make a living. So well, I want to come back to talking about, obviously, the things you're playing around with at Nokdu and, and what you've been learning in your time here, but... Here you are as a, a man in his 20s, now starting to spend a bit more time at Old Pulney, right? You're, you're not leaving after two weeks. You're now starting to like whiskey. What did your journey look like at, at Pulteney and, and where did you head after that? Pulteney was good fun. Uh, you know, late 80s, early 90s, I mean, th things were changing quite a bit in the industry. Uh, the customs had less control, less jurisdiction over what happened at the distillery, so distillers are trusted to look after their their own affairs now. We have a bit more basis. So the industry was changing at that time. 
fantastic manager, John Black. I, mean, um, I'm, I don't know if you're fortunate to come across John Never in your know. travels. Uh, his brewer at the time was a, another sadly departed character, Wally McCollum, who was a fantastic guy to learn from. Um, good people to work with. Uh, Pulteney, when I started as a mashman and the progression, those days you, you do a stint in the mash house and then if you're any good there you'd, you know, effectively well, it was viewed as a wee step up and you get moved through to the still house, which is boring. <laughs> uh, but, uh, um, and then I can, where do we move from there? The mashman stillman and then I got a trainee under brewer position, uh, which was a new role that was created up there at the time, which is great. And then Wally and John both left, nothing to do with me, honest. <laughs> we got a new manager, stepped up to brewer, and then moved down to Ball Blair Distillery in 1994. Okay. Brewer worked there for 12 years and then came down to Knock Do in 2006 as manager. Okay, okay, so all the way up to 2006. Talk to us a little bit about Brewer. You were a brewer. What, what does that mean within the industry? What did that mean within well, the distillery brewer, that time? A brewer's old money for assistant manager. Uh, oh, interesting. So kind of pretty much more hands-on, more involved in the day-to-day process than modern distillery manager would be. Would be. And they called that brewer? That was distillery brewer, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so did you... Given that you're a man who liked the processes and was learning them along the way, when you became then that assistant manager, that you know, distillery brewer position, did you miss, did you get moved away from the processes or did you now have more control over you the processes? You more control. I mean, you're, you're, you're more involved in the process of you're not actually doing the, you're not doing the mashing, you're not distilling. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything that you look at and think, okay, maybe, maybe we should do something differently or, or what happens if we do X, Y, or Z. Uh, you get a bit more responsibility, it's good fun. Um, in modern distillery management, you, it, in theory, it tends to be a bit more desk or screen-based, but it's no fun. You can spend as much time as you can on the plant. <laughs> a few more spreadsheets involved nowadays. Uh, no comment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so when you came here in 2006, what did Knock do look like? How long had that been in the family? Uh, was it still Inverhouse at that point? Yeah. Or what was ownership uh, in 2006? 2000, well, 1988, Knock do was the first distillery that Inverhouse okay. bought, bought from themselves. They've been silent, been mothballed for five years. Fired up again in early 1989. Um, kind of ticked away quite happily. Kind of five day production up into two thousand and six. I came down when you know, moved on to seven day production. Two thousand and six okay. moved on to single man operation. Two thousand and six and things maybe started sped up a wee bit. Hmm. What was Nocto being used for? In those early days of Inverhouse ownership, was it a part of a blend? Was there Mainly a blends. single malt being released as uh, part of it? Answer there's both again, but it was mainly blended whiskey. Okay. Um, we bought, or Inverhouse bought the distillery with stocks in 1988, and 1989 we started bottling and selling not do single malt whiskey. Ah, okay. Which was great for three, maybe four years, and then uh, there was a bit of confusion. Or, perceived confusion between the Nocdo brand and Nakando. So 
like a, an arrangement was reached where we would change the name of the bottled product from Knock Dew to Anok. Okay. Uh, Knock Dew is garlic for the hill. Hey, sorry, Black Hill. Anok is garlic for the hill. So we've kept the association with the Knock where we, we draw our water from. Okay. Oh, I like the way you slid that in there. Very professional move. I like that. So as you've now gone from assistant manager, now your manager at your own distillery, what was that transition like? Scary. <laughs> uh, it, it, it wasn't really. I, I keep harping on, I'm blue in the face, so I, I couldn't speak too highly of the guys that work here. Uh, you, you've seen the distillery, there's zero automation, basically. It's the way things should be done, I think. It's pretty old-fashioned. Uh, and the guys are so good. They've got such a busy shift, but they honestly generally look forward to coming to the work. They've got an affinity for the distillery. It's... it's Inverhouse thing they own it. They, they don't. It's our distillery. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no omission. So the guys are busy, uh, and they go home happy. Uh, it's it's a fantastic place. Where it's it's really not like work. I say that quite well. <laughs> <laughs> when you start sending back that paycheck, we'll uh, we'll believe you. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't I tell you how much I get paid? <laughs> <laughs> now that's a good problem to have. Uh, <laughs> I know the bills are paid at the end of the month, but... Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when you were looking around and you were, you were kind of growing into, this is now your distillery, and obviously you share it with the, the guys who work here, and I always see that in you, that you are very proud of them and, and you represent them incredibly well. Yeah, I, I would say it's the other way. Okay. They, actually, they actually make me look good. <laughs> uh, as you looked around the distillery early on then, we're now talking 13 years ago, what were some of the things that you first looked at that you wanted to put your stamp on or that you had ideas could be done better? It's, it's important when you, you go to a new place, you might come there with uh, lots and lots of bright ideas and maybe things you picked up from other sites or e even from other industries. But for God's sake, the last thing you want to do is just jump in with both feet and just go and make a heap of changes. Mm -hmm. So I came down here in August and I deliberately did not change a thing. We just observed, watched, looked at the process. Uh, I thought, okay, we'll, we'll leave it to the new year and then we'll, we'll, we'll gradually start to change a few bits and pieces. Okay. And you, you do it that way. That I'm assuming, oh, I'm not sleeping with them, honestly, but I'm saying that the guys are so good. They're, they're very receptive, very responsive to that. Um, well, the way you talk about it and that you hear it is it, they do think of it as their distillery. Oh, definitely. Yeah, and, without a doubt. You know, I can see them looking for best processes and best practices as well, along with you, yeah. along with you looking for that. But one of the things I, I hear from you as, as we tour around is efficiency and energy and as much as and I'm really glad to see it I think so many more people in the industry now talk about that when I first met you in 2011 you were one of the first distillery managers that I'd heard talking about efficiency and preserving energy and and kind of being responsible within the distillery for those practices. I mean, that's a, the appropriate word there. The key word is responsible. Uh, and it, it's not just responsibility to the distillery and those that pay my wages, it's responsibility to the planet. Mm -hmm. It's always going to be an energy-hungry process. It's never going to change. 
So what are some of the things you've you've done there in, in terms of energy for the for the listeners who can't come here and, and tour the, the distillery in, in your wonderful company? What are some of the things you've you've implemented in your time here? We've what we kind of focused on on reclaiming heat. Um, you've seen the warmed up here. I, I don't know if we can speak about warmed ups later on. Is uh, that the plan? Uh, we will, yeah, yeah we'll, yeah, we'll okay. do it separate. You, you can make a, a point right now about yeah. it and then we'll go into a deeper conversation. So, for those familiar with the site, we've got a slightly unusual setup with the worms. We've got both wash worm and spurnet worm. They both sit in the same warm tub. And it's, to be honest, it's it's not a very good setup. It was done that way for course. You build one tank instead of two. So, you got massive amount of heat energy getting dissipated in the water which is really just going to waste mm. uh, and, and the flip side of that summertime when the, the cooling condensing water is pretty warm temperatures get too high so they had to run cooling towers which are criminal and cooling tower just defies logic you throw thousands of kilowatt hours of energy in to throw even more thousands of kilowatt energy out mm. which is just absolute lunacy so the big one here is probably fitting the shell and tube condenser on the wash still. Uh, but the, the wee twist there is we don't have enough cold water from the springs in the hill to feed the works cooler in the mush house and to feed the shell and tube condenser. So giggles and shits would, would try using the same water for both rolls. Hmm. So the hot water from the works cooler is now collected in a, a new underground storage tank. That hot water becomes the feed water for the shell and tube condenser. So you feed this brew at 45, 50 degrees centigrade. Energy available from the condensing process the wash still vapors takes the water up there 96, 97, maybe 98 degrees centigrade, which is usable heat. That's good heat. So we can use that so many different ways. Um, our gas or LPG propane is delivered minus 40 odd degrees centigrade. So you need to heat it to gasify it to get it to burn. So rather than use electricity to heat it, we now use our own hot water, rip it through a coil, knock the heat out of the water. It vaporizes the gas very, gas very, very effectively. Uh, run that now warm water back into underground storage so we can use it again. Wash still pre and we're not too proud to use second-hand equipment, so well, a few bottles of whiskey, i got a, a double-pass wash pre here. So the first pass is hot water, second pass is pot ale. So we, the first pass, we use our own free hot water as the, as the, the, the initial heating source, the, the wash. Uh, once it's Pass through the, the heat exchanger, it's, the water's cooled down, so it goes back into underground storage, we'll, we'll use it again. So every drop of water extracted from the springs and hill, we're effectively using five, maybe six times. Hmm. Well, and then you were also talking as we were in the, um, the mash room about your waters and for, for us visiting other distilleries, we hear about first water, second water, third water, the third water becomes recycled and goes back into the first water, but you're now even talking about doing more than that. Yeah, uh, because we've uh, got such a fantastic supply, both volume and, and, and temperature hot water to play with. That's given us a scope, A, to not use steam in the mush house anymore, which is fantastic, it's a big saving. And we can also play tunes with quantities and temperatures of water going into the mush tun and try and, try and tweak the process a wee bit that way. So uh, we're not looking for big gains anymore. It's, it, it, it's actually more fun putting thought into things and tweaking things and teasing things to, to, to gain a fraction rather, rather than a, a whole. So, so I do want to talk to you about, about fermentation in just a moment. But again, as we went round today, you talked about your cyclones. Can you talk about the cyclones? 
I we're I wouldn't say paranoid, but we're we're quite fussy about words clarity. So I think we we, we looked at the mash done, and unfortunately, any time you you put the sterning gear, move the rakes, it disturbs the grain bed in the mash done. You run the risk of pulling solids through the false bottom. You get solids in your wash bag; it inhibits ester formation. They, they tend not to form. And you get any solid particles. Uh, so a couple of years ago, we found it's, it's a fairly crude, fairly simple system. Uh, hydrocyclones. You get a tangential entry for the warts in the top of this circular tube unit. The that's not a very good description. Never mind. I liked uh, it. <laughs> so solids come out of solution. They're they're heavier than liquid, so they end up they drop down to the bottom of the discharge tube. And then you've a lot of potential fermentable extract there. So rather than let it go to waste, we discharge the cyclones back into the hot liquor tank. So that'll all go back into the mash dump in the next war. So we've got a super clean warts that passes out of the cyclones to go through the warts cooler to go to the wash bag. Um, but they're they're simple, uh, and this 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 is the, <laughs> he the, says. <laughs> these are the, the the best things, the most fun things. Uh, something you you put a bit of thought into, a bit of effort into. It's not been a big budget job, but it's 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 had a big impact on on the quality of our work. And so you're you're starting to tie this back in for me. So the listeners might be wondering why is a clean wart better than a <laughs> unclean wart, cloudy wart? Yeah. Well, why uh, why is clean important? Uh, Clear warts, you, clear, sorry. Uh, clear warts we, we can generate more esters during the fermentation. Mm. Uh, these nice, fresh, fruity flavours that we, 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 we want and not do new make. Uh, cloudy wort tends to produce a maybe slightly heavier, possibly maybe nutty flavoured new make spirit. Okay. The other thing is if we really want to retain solids, we don't want solids in our, our effluent streams. So once we, we the fermentations are finished, we wash out the washbacks with liquid water runs to waste. Uh, if we've got any solid husky material there, that, that causes issues or, or challenges downstream. So, okay. so if we can pick any solids out before they get to the washback, it's a win-win. We get better fermentation performance, we have a slightly fruitier new make, and we've got less issues downstream. Fantastic. So it's, it's a good Really wonderful. You're clearly a, a, a man of fermentation. You're, again, one of the first people I spoke to in the industry who really saw the value of yeast, and not just yeast as a means towards yield. Which is obviously still important, yeah. But you you did look at your numbers for fermentation, but then also the flavors that they produced. Obviously, the question is talk to us a bit about yeast, but also, given you've been here from two thousand and six, what have you changed with yeast in your time here, and what have you established with yeast in your time here? Okay, well, if you think back a hundred years, the big the biggest single advance in making Scotch whiskey today has been barley varieties. The breeders, the maltsters, they're kind of very, very proactive, as indeed the farmers quite proactive at giving us better quality barley to work. For such a long time, yeast was static. Uh, you could buy from two big suppliers of yeast in the UK for distiller's yeast, and you either took it or you left it. Okay. But for the last four or five years, they've been a wee bit more proactive and come up with slightly different strains, well it's, it's still Saccharomyces cerevisiae, but gonna, they've just going to tweak their mix, uh, tweak, tweak the yeast a wee bit. So modern yeast, they're a bit more tolerant to warmer temperatures. So we're, we're finding the yeast we're using now, we can run to 37, maybe just over 37 degrees in the wash bag. 
And these modern yeasts, they they like sugar. So if you can get the wash bag gravities up a wee bit and run them a wee bit warmer, not only will you get more alcohol in your fermented wash, but you'll have a higher level of esters as well. Mm, and so, and those are those fruity yeah. compounds that you're looking for. Uh, um, we, we talked about some of the yeast varieties we used. Um, we did some trials a couple of years ago with Lollaman yeast and Lollaman has some pretty cool products in the go. But um, I'm bugger if I can remember which one was which. But it's DY three seven nine, DY five hundred two, and well, DY is distiller's yeast. I wish they gave them names, uh, <laughs> uh, but I can't remember which one. But walking or using one of these yeasts, particularly yeast, walking into a tun room is like walking into a bowl of fruit. The ester level is just absolutely. Stunning, gorgeous. <laughs> so, so how important do you think the the flavors built in the wash are when they then move into the still room, or is it just a case of you're looking for fermentable sugars that will then go off into a, a distillate? Are you building flavor uh, in the the washbacks? to then go into your wash still and into your spirit still. Well, those that have heard me ranting on and rambling on the distillery will appreciate I'm a kind of massive believer in the... the, the it's, it's not just alcohol we're producing during the mashing fermentation process. This is where so many of the flavours and smells in Scotch whisky are produced. So if you, you change your mashing temperature by half a degree either way, your yeast pitching rates, the washbacks, uh, washback setting temperatures, half a degree either way, they've got a massive impact, uh, not just on the quantity of alcohol you can produce, but on the quality of alcohol as well. Mm. So um, I wish people, when they're when having a whiskey, they'll think a wee bit more about the mashman and... What the, What's, what's going on at the early part of the process? People tend to focus a wee bit too much on the stills, which, mm-hmm. okay, okay there's, a, there's a bit of conversion taking place, but they're basically just an extraction process. So uh, to tie this back into your history, when you started out as a mashman, what were you facing then? Were you just a man with a bag of yeast on your shoulder dumping it into a vat? Or was there still some sophistication back in the the late 80s? Uh, back in the, the good old days, we also had brewer's yeast to play with. Um, I used to like brewer's yeast. I like the taste of brewer's yeast, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's a certain school of thought. I mean, the hops supposedly have a, an antiseptic property. The the quality, the, uh, the viability of brewer's yeast was very, very variable. It was, uh, I don't know, you... A distiller's yeast, you're probably going to have viabilities in 96, 97, maybe in 98%. Uh, brewer's yeast would vary so much. Depends where the yeast came from, weather conditions, moisture content vary. And uh, quite often in summertime, it's like handling Hessian bags of diarrhea. It was funny <laughs> stuff to work with. Uh, now there's an image. Yeah, but we, Bolton uh, and we we used to slurry, we used to get yeast in pressed form. And most people are using a, a a creamed liquid product these days, but in the old days, it's pressed yeast, and you used to easiest way to deal with brewer's yeast, Newton's yeast, is you would mix all these bags of slippery, sloppy stuff in a, a tank of water and just give it a good stir. So you would mix it, and that would do you for the week. Uh, you would make your yeast pitch to the wash bag was a mixture of some distiller's yeast and some brewer's yeast. I'm trying to think. There, there are one or two folk today still using brewer's yeast, but it, it's far and few between. The industry tended to move away from that probably 15 years ago. Do you miss it? Do you? Do you... Probably not for performance, uh, okay. but I, I probably, 
probably did add something to the the taste and and the nose of the fermented wash. Uh, it would be quite interesting to see if we get our hands on some of that and, and try a few fermentations again. Anybody could do it, Gordon. Yeah. You would be the man. <laughs> <laughs> Expect that to show up. Um, you also have a yeast store on site here. When did that come into being and, and what was your reason? I, I, I can guess the answer to it, but give you a chance to... To put the answer out. Yeah, well, the yeast plant we saw today, I mean, it's, it's quite a common sell. Uh, if you get creamed yeast delivered on a weekly basis, uh, it's delivered in a chilled tank. It comes here, two, three degrees centigrade delivery temperature. So we, we can store yeast for two weeks, maybe three weeks, and okay. you, you keep in refrigerated conditions. It'll keep very, very well. Okay. The viability will remain high. And so have you, have you always had a yeast store here? No, that went in 2006 when we moved on to single manning. Uh, prior to that, we distilled had two operators in each shift, mashman and a stallman. Uh, an awful lot more time for the guys to, to do things. So it was, yeast was, was pressed yeast. So, Interesting. Okay. So cream yeast, it's, as well as being a very good quality product, it's, it's very easy to handle. We just need to open a couple of valves and switch on a pump and... That delivers a, a set amount of yeast to our, our wash bags. It seems simple when you put it like that. It is, yeah. <laughs> the oldest, there's nothing complicated in a distillery. Well, this is a perfect time to transition then to you have two uh, additional vessels beyond your washbacks uh, and beyond the, the room of washbacks. You've got six washbacks on site? Six washbacks. And then yeah. you've got these two additional vessels that are called. Vessel one and vessel two, but that might change. What are these two additional fermenting vessels doing? The irony here is we had a distillery tour about an hour ago, and if we'd taken these bloody microphones with us, I wouldn't have to answer these questions again now. <laughs> that was me doing research for the interview. <laughs> yeah, as, as you rightly point out, uh, we've got two that they're not quite secondary fermentation vessels, but they're two additional fermentation vessels we, we, we built in the back of the kiln in 2013. Uh, so we ferment in the tun room for 42, 44 hours, and as the fermentation goes on, some, some of the yeast will drop out of solution, they'll form a layer on the bottom of the washback. And above that layer of yeast, you still have viable fermentable sugar, but because the yeast is buried, can't work in it. So we'll pump from the tun room through to one of these new wooden almost washbacks at 42, 44 hours and actually moving from one vessel to another gets the yeast back into solution, gets the fermentation going again. So we get another 16 hours fermentation time in these secondary vessels before the fermented wash goes through to the still house. We'll get another four or five hours. So nothing goes to the wash still less than 60 hours, more realistically 65 hours over three separate bites of fermentation. And that's for the unpeated barley. Is there a, a subtle change when you get into the, the peated well, barley? We'll, we'll, we'll treat peated malt exactly the same way. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, no extension on that. And exactly the same yeast, doing the exact same job. Yep, uh, but that's a, a, another plus with modern yeasts. Uh, the acidity in peated malt, you used to be pretty savage on traditional distillers' yeast. So you find your, your fermentation performance would drop away. Uh, modern yeasts, I've mentioned the two names we're using, Maori MG Plus and Lollaman Distillamax XP, they both perform very, very well with peat and malt. 
fantastic. Oh, Any time a, a distillery manager mentions yeast on the podcast, it goes over fantastically well. So okay. you've just made some very geeky listeners very happy right now. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so cutting through now to the spirit that you produce, your goal is to have a nice fruity distillate. From here, are there other components that you're looking for in your distillate? And then what are you looking for when you move it forward into maturation? Yeah, what we're looking for in new make spur is consistency. Nobody wants to make the best new make spur in the world one week and something less pleasant the following week. So that's kind of one of the, the challenges that comes in. It depends on Mother Nature, what the, what the sun's doing, what the rain gods are doing, how much water we have to play with, uh, how the raw materials are performing. And my biggest raw material is barley, which is a living thing, so it, it, it changes all the time. Sure. Uh, our new make, we're looking for something nice, fresh, estery, fruity, and probably slightly malty as well. We always keep our distillate strength, our spirit, collective spirit strength, less than 70% alcohol. If we find if we go above 70%, which we're legally allowed to do, we lose some of these estuary fruity notes. It becomes a bit too clean. Gotcha. I can't remember, was that the whole question? <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then given the description of that distillate, you're then putting it into wood. What are you looking for when you put it into wood? And, and what wood do you think works particularly well with the spirit that you're producing. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll get a commercial plug in here. Go for it. Yeah, yeah, we distillery celebrates 125th birthday this Mazel. year. Uh, and I, I haven't been here for 125 years. Uh, so we've got two special, very limited edition releases to, to celebrate the 125th. And the one's my personal favourite. We've got a, a cast strength 16-year-old which has been matured solely in DHR, DHR, ex-bourbon casks. Uh, these casks suit our, our new make spirits, our liquids, so well. So that very, very reactive casks, but because they're dechar, rechar, we, we don't have any previous contents to, to, to influence the, the character of our, of our spirit. Um, the 16-year-old is zesty, fruity, zingy, uh, it's citrusy. It's just a whiskey that just makes you want to dance, which Agreed. isn't a pretty sight. <laughs> and you and I dancing together in this room is definitely not a pretty sight. It was fun, though. <laughs> My children might be listening. Come on. Uh, and so that was all 16 years in the DHR Rechar? Yep, yep. So full maturation in there. Now, for, for me, and I, I told you this previously, to see the 16-H statement come back on an Annock release was fantastic. 16 release... Definitely one of my favourites coming out of the distillery. To now see it come out at cask strength is really playing into my wheelhouse. So I, I can't imagine there being a better bottling for the 125th anniversary. But then you say there's also a peated one as well. Peated one as well, yeah. I'm not exactly sure of the age of that. It's probably, I don't know, between 11 and 14 years old. Okay. So it's mainly bourbon matured and then kind of further matured and sherry casks. Uh, that's been bottled of 46% alcohol. Uh, pretty limited as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you were saying there's uh, approximately uh, 500 six packs on, yep. on yeah. the 16. Does that about match the same on the peated? Yep. Yeah. Okay. And I think we agreed they're not coming to the United States. I only make the stuff, I don't sell it. So <laughs> bring that up with my marketing team. <laughs> if you can give me their number, I'd more than have to call them. <laughs> 01236. Three seven seven. 
Do you want us to beep over the top of that? Maybe give the first three digits and beep the rest? UK dialing codes plus 44. <laughs> Fantastic. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. So when you and I first met in 2011, you were just beginning to pioneer peated spirit at this distillery. What have you been able to do with the peated spirit here in those eight years? It's actually almost eight years to the day uh, that I first sat in this room and your life has never been the same since. <laughs> <laughs> you used to have a full head of hair. Yeah. <laughs> and mine used to not be grace, so here we are. Um, so so what, what have you been doing with peat on site? What, well, what have you been excited to see come in? You know, the, the, the history of peat, uh, as, as a group, Inverhouse, we had to buy peat, whiskey, peat spirits from third parties to use in our blends so 14 maybe even 15 years ago now we did the first few very small batches of peat production and they'll do it's, it's, it's an ideal site for that kind of size layout it lends itself pretty well to these experimental batches and and, and small batches uh the first year i can only look in the malt book i think it's maybe three loads of peat malt so it's been a 80, 90 tons of malt were processed for the year. Wow. Uh, a few years ago, we did 1,000 tons of peat in wow. a year. That was 25% of my production one year was on peat. Oh. That's where the baggage that comes with peat and malt as well, which is good fun. Uh, <laughs> we're doing a, a, a wee bit less this year. Uh, peats, it's always interesting to, to play with. You, you need to chop and change, make, make we some tweaks to the plant to, to get the best out of it. Uh, you go home from work at night, as you rightly pointed out, I'm bald as I could these days, but if, if I still had hair and you run the peat mall, you go home from work at night, your clothes would be stinking, your hair would be stinking, the dogs be stinking, everything smells of smoke. Uh, most of the guys that work here do not like it at all, but I absolutely love it, it's gorgeous. Peat spirit, uh, well, well, we'll drag out a sample of peat new make and have a, a wee sniff of that as well. Cheers. I'll let you pass comments on that. First time I made peat spirit here, I was so excited. We had a wee sample bottle home for the wife and kids to smell as well. <laughs> <laughs> that was gorgeous. Uh, Were they uh, as excited as you? Uh, not quite, I would say, no. Uh, the the peat ones have worked well, very well for me because it, it's, it's, it's quite easy to make a very heavily peat whiskey where you can't taste anything except smoke. And mm -hmm. come on, let's face it. Unless you like liking ashtrays, it's not very pleasant. The, the, the thing I like about the peat expressions from here is the balance. I mean, the Knox a nice, fresh, fruity, estuary whiskey. And we've got the balance smoke, and it's, it's, it's not a medicinal TCP smoke, like an Isla smoke. It's more of a, an ashy, woody smoke. And the, the, the balance with the fresh, fruity, not do whiskey, an Oak whiskey is, is, is very, very good. That's the key, key word for me is balance. Well, and that's one of the things we've talked about, not only on the podcast, but also at, at tastings with people, is, is we'll meet people who don't like peated spirit. And they'll say, oh, I don't like those smoky ones from that island. Yeah, we uh, hear that a lot. Right. Yeah. And, and we'll often speak to them about, well, you know, what Highland peat is doing is very different from what Isla peat is doing. And then that's exactly what you and I were talking about earlier today and what you've just said in this pod podcast, that you've got more of the the smoke framework from Highland peat and less of that medicinal, seaweedy, iodine heaviness from the Isla peat. Yeah, uh, from, from memory, the, the, the compound's got four methyl guaiacol. That's the one that's got a really high level on Isla peat that gives it a medicinal TCP. Shut up, Trump, you old bastard. Uh, the... <laughs> 
Is he? Uh, the peat we use comes from St. Fergus, which is Aberdeenshire peat, so it's essentially the same chemical makeup or phenolic makeup as we would have used 100, 125 years ago with an ox, so I suppose we kind of stayed true to our roots there. So did you find the same thing when you started bringing peated spirit out from a Highland distillery, that people would just make a blanket comment? <laughs> the, t- the Trumpster's upset with this line of questioning. <laughs> Stop it. So given what we're saying about Highland Peat versus Isle of Peat, as a Highland distiller, when you first started running Peated Spirit, did you run into that same blanket comment? And then did you get to see people change their minds when they gave it a taste? Yeah, I mean, uh, probably the best example for me is Ollie, uh, assistant manager here. I mean, Ollie's been here 30, 31 years. And a man and boy doesn't like peat whiskey. Uh, Point blank doesn't like peat whiskey until he tried the peat experience expressions from here. And, oh, I do like this actually, yeah. And that, that's actually quite a common reaction. Absolutely, and I and I love seeing people get attached more to the smoke and and less to that kind of heavy earthiness. I like the fact that there can be something there for them to latch on to, especially people who like you know smoking cigars um, or who like. Barbecued meats. Barbecued meat or blue cheese. Right. Oh, still in Strathdon Blue, Rockford, pea whiskey, Parmesan, pea whiskey. It's oh, so good. <laughs> We're getting hungry now. Uh, um, final question here, but then we'll, we'll do the separate bit on the, the worm tubs as well. Given that every time I've seen you in the last eight years, there's been, there's been something at this distillery that you've been enthusiastic about, that you've been jumping out of bed to come and do. You said it earlier in the podcast, really doesn't feel like coming to work at all. Here we are at the tail end of 2019. What have you got going on in, in the distillery that's got you most excited? And what are you looking forward to in 2020? Survival. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I, th- I, th- I think the, 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 the big ugly bits have probably been done. So it's just tweaking and teasing and nurturing and polishing. Uh, Is there an area that has your attention? I know you obviously we've talked earlier about energy. Obviously we've talked about that's yield. A, that's ongoing. Uh, those, flavor. Those, are, mm, those just never, they never leave your no, attention. Uh, no, and they shouldn't, no. Uh, will, will anybody see you travelling the globe in 2020? Will you be... Are, are you at the distillery pretty much 365 now, aside from you go on your own holidays? Are you going out and doing any shows uh, anywhere? No, we, we don't get to travel very much these days. So. so the travel's few and far between, you're mostly focused at the distillery? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you don't know if there's anything on your docket for 2020, nobody's told you that yet. Yeah, it's ages away. Yet, ages away, it? yeah. <laughs> Still got all in November, December, and October at this point, you yeah. survive. Um, thanks ever so much, Gordon, I really appreciate it. Pleasure. And uh, I will end the torture here. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Cheers, man. Thanks a million to Gordon Bruce for, for taking the time to welcome us to Knock Do Distillery. He has a cup of tea at the ready every time we Absolutely. stop by that distillery. Yeah. There's nothing kinder than the distillery manager, the man who's in charge of millions of litre of spirit annually, mm-hmm. being the man who says, what do you take in your tea? <laughs> or, or do you want a cup of coffee? Um, and we might have a biscuit or we might be out of biscuits. I just, I just love it. He's such a wonderful, humble, down-to-earth fella. Mm. Uh, I, I really do. I really, I love him to bits. 
Yes. Yes. Let me let me let me just say this quickly. I've only met him twice. You've met him a bunch more times. And our friend Holly Sidewand, who mm-hmm. yeah, you know her whiskey you know love. Holly. Yep, her whiskey love. There you go. Um, I remember. So so. Let me say this in in a smart way, so I'm not stumble bumbling all over my words. It's it's always your New Year's resolution. I remember this from early episodes in 2019. Like, okay, I'm gonna say this correctly and succinctly uh-huh. and as you uh-huh. know january turned to february like a lot of resolutions it fell by the wayside yeah. but you enjoy your january resolution here let's hear this in a smart way so this is what i have to say <laughs> there are a lot of distillery managers mickey heads right jim McEwen, right people mm-hmm. start to <laughs> to turn these distillery managers or whiskey personalities into whiskey deities if you will yeah. Yeah. Yep. And Gordon Bruce is is a name that not very many people are familiar with. However, the people who know Gordon Bruce, they don't have enough good words to apply when his name came up. And I remember speaking with Holly at the Keepers Banquet uh, in New York. Yep. And and Gordon Bruce came up. And she said, oh, I love Gordon. You know, it's just as yeah, soon as... Been a we, week working at... Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's again, you know, it's it, he is not a household name when it comes to the whiskey world. Not everybody knows him, but those that do know him have uh, only the, the utmost reverence for, for him. Well, and I, and I would I would maybe tighten that a little by maybe saying within whiskey fandom, he's mm. not a front and center. Inverhouse are not sending him all around the globe, although he does show up in some places. He said he had, he'd been in Canada uh, in early 2019. He might be in Canada early 2020. So people in the industry, when you mention Gordon Bruce, oh yeah, yeah people, people know who, exactly oh, who that yeah. is. Yeah. But in fandom, yeah, you know, Inverhouse, Knock Do, and Knock really don't have him front and center. And again, I think it speaks to he wants to be at his distillery. He yeah. wants to be working with his team around him and producing the best spirit that he can. Mm. And and I, and I think that's to be applauded in, in a day and age. You know, and we, we did, we asked this of Mickey Heads when we did the, the live podcast with him. And then we've asked it of John Campbell, a, a chap we've yet to have on the podcast, but we've spoken to multiple times. Yeah, um, you know, just at, in his at, office at, or at wherever. shows, yeah. at the distillery, yeah. Um, you know, we've, we've asked these chaps, you know, did you expect to become a, a whiskey superstar? And, and to a person, they never did. Uh, they just, they, they got a job in a distillery. They started doing it. They worked their way through the ranks, as, as a lot of young people do. Promotions here, promotions there. And they just happened to climb the whiskey ladder at the exact same time that whiskey exploded globally. Hmm. And, and they became superstars. It's, it's, yeah. it's a remarkable yeah. industry in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it, it always fascinates me how that how that came to be and, and what the future holds for it. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting reflective here in the yeah, early part of 2020. Yeah. So. Let's, let's have our first news segment of 2020. You ready for that, Jason? Here it comes. Let's see, let's see. We all are. 
you know what I want to cover in today's news? I have a have an inkling, but I'll, I will let you have the floor. We have a lot of whiskey in store for 2020 for the U.S. and for Europe and, and, and elsewhere abroad, but we've got a pile of whiskey that's about to come in, and I wanted to share with people uh, the five whiskeys that are going to come to the U.S. on our retail range, and then we've got some coming in for online exclusives. Am I right in saying this was already on the Facebook group page? You are 100% correct. I did put this on the Facebook group page, but, you know, we've got 2,500 people on the Facebook group and 30, almost 40,000 people that download or stream this podcast. So I figured why not let everybody know. Perfect. So... In our retail range, now this is for our U.S. releases, so I do apologize for all of our European and Asian uh, and Canadian listeners, etc. cetera. Uh, this is a bit U.S.-centric here. We have two Altmores. So as Jason and a lot of our listeners may know this, in our previous release, we did two Kleinleashes, a nine-year-old bourbon and then a 23-year-old sherry. And we're doing the same again in release number six, a sort of point-counterpoint, this mm-hmm. time through Altmore. So there's an eight-year-old Altmore in First Fill Bourbon, and then a 30-year-old Altmore in First Fill Sherry. <laughs> <laughs> These are just the numbers we throw around now. It's so yeah, funny it's to just, me. you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> oh, gosh, remember that year where we released five 12-year-olds? I don't. It may not have been a specific year, but there was one. There was one year in particular where we where we had our jubilees, and what we had available at that time was about five different twelve year old whiskeys. <laughs> that was very funny. I do remember our first retail release being four eight year olds. I do remember that as well. <laughs> that was an yeah. interesting wrinkle as well. Yeah, it was, but they were all different. Good, they were all damn, fun. Damn yeah. good whiskeys, though. Yeah. Damn good. The next one that I want to mention in our sixth retail release for the U.S. Uh, store shelves is a 10-year-old, and I'm, I'm going to slaughter the pronunciation of this because we're not allowed to say where the whiskey came from, but we could talk about the spirit. So it's called a Ruidvor. So R-U-A-D-H, how would you pronounce that as a, as a Scotsman? Same word. Ruud? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then... I wouldn't get too fancy. <laughs> and then Vor, uh, pronounced exactly how it's spelled. Yep. Uh, M-H-O-R. That's it. <laughs> and that's a 10-year-old in Firstville bourbon, and it is a peated version of Speyside whiskey. Uh I wouldn't say they're the most iconic Speyside distillery, but um, they their whiskey, their non-peated whiskey, goes into one of the most famous blends. Is it a really famous Moorland bird? Uh, I think you're taking it too far here. Um, <laughs> Man, you don't have to grouse at me. <laughs> Unrehearsed, straight off the top of our heads. 
<laughs> this is what you come back for, dear listener. This is what you live for. Oh, and this is what I'm stuck with. Um, <laughs> so, so then the other two, to, to round out those first three, we have a 23-year-old Ben Nevis from a second fill bourbon hogshead. And then a 26-year-old Invergordon from a first fill bourbon barrel. Mm. Yep. I tell you, we've seen some interesting grains and interesting maturation. Well, with that in mind, we have a 45-year-old Invergordon from a first fill bourbon barrel that we're bottling for the UK-EU market. Yeah. And interestingly enough, the ABVs on the two are this are pretty close. One's like 46.9, the other one's 45.9. The U.S. one, we're going to get about 124 bottles at 26 years old. And the 45-year-old, slightly high. That 45 is the slightly higher ABV. And we're getting 190 bottles for a 45-year-old. So yeah. isn't that interesting how these two casks matured? Yeah. There's, you know, I, I think... As a, as a whiskey fan, as, as somebody who was busy trying to learn more and more and more, you, you try to find out why that's the case. You try to look for the consistent answers. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just get a cask that makes no sense. Yep. And for a 26-year-old to be that low, for a, a 45-year-old to be that high, for their ABVs to be similar, yeah, it's, I just don't know. And, and nobody that we're talking to knows either. And so, yeah, you buckle yep. up and you taste the whiskey and you see if you like it. Well, that's that's alchemy right there. That's <laughs> what happens in the cast is um, is an alchemical um, thing. So, so, so that's our retail range. And then as many people know, because we've talked about this on the podcast before and people I'm sure have seen it online, we have our Pappy Nonsense coming. Mm-hmm. which is our collaborative bottling with Hello from the Magic Tavern. And that's a, a vatting of four Tennessee bourbon casts of whiskey. I saw somebody posting on Instagram the other day saying, did I miss the second special release from Single Cast Nation and Hello from the Magic Tavern? Nope, nope. we're just moving at the speed of uh, America right now. <laughs> and then we have a blended Isla Malt coming, mm-hmm. which has got me very excited. It's mm-hmm. from two uh, iconic distilleries who share ownership, and and I'll leave it at that. Hmm. 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 Two Isla distilleries that share ownership. I'm trying to think of another two Isla distilleries that share ownership that aren't the two that immediately spring to mind. There are four distilleries that you can say, you can split them up and say one company owns these two and Mm -hmm. one company owns these two. So Mm -hmm. people will have to make their own determination when they get the bottle, open it Mm. and taste it and and see what it is. Okay. You're being, you're being squirrely again. I like it. And then speaking of Isla, let's, let's stay on Isla. And again, what I'm talking about now from Pappy Nonsense to the blended Isla Malt. This is for online only U.S. release. Uh, we've got an eight-year-old Kalila from a Sherry Butt. However, 
See, I didn't say but again. Uh, however, it's from a, a, a refill sherry butt. So the color isn't super dark. <laughs> however, the fruitiness is there. The fruitiness that you'd get from a sherry cask is there without that sort of heavy sherry funk you might find. And then finally, there is a 19-year-old from a famous Orkney distillery. And this is this will be the third time where we've bottled something and called it Stones of Stenness. Mm-hmm. Stones of Stenness is, is getting a little following of its own now. I think the the name is resonating. I'm, I'm very happy about that. I'm very happy about it. Yep, yep. Um, there are a few more items coming. Did, did you mention oh. the maturation on the 19-year-old Stones of Stenness? I didn't, eh? I should have. It is a bourbon hogshead Stones of Stenness. Good. I yeah. figure... Listeners are kind of like, oh, did I miss him? You know, they're rewinding at 15 seconds, see if they can hear the maturation, make it easy yeah, on people. Uh, for those that are familiar with the 18-year-old that we released, that was a very sort of lighter, floral, almost, you know, wisps of wood smoke kind of peat to it. This one's a bit heavier. This one's a bit darker, a bit richer. You know, it's still bourbon cask and it still has that lighter floral peat to it that you'd expect from a But it's definitely a different experience from the 18-year-old and surely a, a heavier one at that. Hmm. I, I say hmm, like you're describing this to me the first time. I, I was one of the two people that selected it for the company. <laughs> can I, let, me, can, let me say this real quick. So we, we get questions all the time. <sighs> say, uh, you know, I'm really interested... In this whiskey, is it any good? Have you ever had it? Yeah, that's that is an interesting one. People will say that to me at, at festivals. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure people always understand it's our company that that we are the only ownership. But I think it speaks to a bigger, and I would call this a problem, a bigger problem that there's a preconception or a misconception, to bring back Mm. an old segment, that independent bottlers may not be tasting everything that they put into a bottle. Mm. And what we've said from the very beginning is, because we're a tiny company, there's just three of us in the company, all we have is a reputation to go on. And if we just... If we bought a cask because it said, ooh, that's, that's from Macallan and it's 20 years old... And uh, let's bottle it immediately, and it's crap. Then who's who's going to buy from us again? The reason why people would buy from an independent bottler once they've stopped chasing the distilleries that they chase is they say, you know what? I'm a Caddenheads guy. I'll buy I'll buy almost anything they bottle. I'm a single cast nation guy. I'm a Gordon McPhail girl. You know, whatever. You know, independent bottlers have a reputation to uphold. And if people start hearing, oof, you know what? They've been bottling bad whiskey, then there's an issue. Without doubt. And as a small company, we can't afford to bottle anything that we wouldn't want to drink ourselves. So we taste everything that goes into a bottle. Yeah. No, it's always an interesting question to be faced with. I'm kind of like, who... You know, I, and I don't mean this to sound the way to mind, but you know, 
like, who do you think I am? Right. I'm, I'm the guy who's selecting these casks. <laughs> kind of a big deal. I'm going to take the car into the shop tomorrow. You mean your lame Dodge Stratus? You don't talk about Here my car that way. I drive a Dodge Stratus. You don't talk about my Dodge Stratus that way. You do not talk your father that way. I'm a division manager. I can do 100 push-ups in 20 minutes. <laughs> I own a Dodge Stratus. <laughs> Which is also something else I like to say to my children. I'm kind of a big deal. They are they're not they're not swayed by that reasoning uh, in any way, shape, or form. Jason. So either am I, Jason. You're just the guy that makes our dinner. Just get back in the kitchen, Dad. Uh, I I select casks. Uh-huh. That's very nice. Very nice. They pat me on the top of the head. Very nice. I'll have the chili with rice, please. Uh, you don't hear them whisper under their breath? Yeah, but I'll select your casket. <laughs> I, I can imagine them getting there one day. I really can. That's, um, so, yeah, so those those are the releases. Are, are anything else up our sleeves? I know we've got... I, I know we've got up our sleeves. I just wonder if you want to share it. We do have other bottlings up our sleeves. However, that is basically what is going to come into the U.S. Initially, oh, let me let me throw this let me throw this one last this one last thing out there. Uh, we have far more than what I'm about to mention, but this um, I, I need to mention those that are familiar with the 30 year old Bowmore that we did. Mm-hmm. Yep. The, the first in the woodcut series, as first we're calling the, it. Yep, first in the woodcut series. The label for the second in our woodcut series is almost complete. It is going to be a 30-year-old. Do you want to mention the distillery? Heck no. Oh, we're just going to... Um, You've already said too much. I have said too much. So let's say this. That will be announced very shortly, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't not, I couldn't just hold on to that. Having seen the label <laughs> in its, you know, 75% done phase, I said, oh God, I got to share this with people. So we'll be another 30 year old and it will be very, very special and very, very delicious. It, and it is absolutely spectacular on the palate. <laughs> there is no doubt about that. Um, <laughs> With with kind of the news in mind, but it's it's not necessarily a newsy item. This this podcast is dropping January fifteen. Mm-hmm. If you're listening to this in the first few days of it being live, we will not yet have interviewed John Glazer yes. in London. If you have a question for John Glazer, we have been receiving some lovely questions to put in front of him. On January 21st. <laughs> so you're looking at me with a bit of side eye here. Because for our listeners who aren't on our One Nation Under Whiskey page or Single Cast Nation page, the way you set this up was as if everybody knew this was happening. We announced it in the podcast. <laughs> no, we didn't, did we? Yeah, for sakes. We did. Oh, I love it when you take me aside to give me notes and then the notes have no bearing on what we've actually been doing. Oh, good Lord, Joshua Hatton. I do not recall you. When did we announce that? I'm not going to name the exact episode. I don't know the numbers of episodes, but we definitely announced it back probably the year 
in review episode when we said, oh, we're excited about some things in 2020, we definitely said we're visiting John Glazer and we solicited people A, for emails for the February 15 episode and we okay. let people know okay. we're okay. talking to John Glazer on the 21st. I, I still don't believe you, but let's move on <laughs> under the false pretense <laughs> that we've that we've announced this on the I, podcast. I was listening to a podcast last night and there was an interesting point on it. The best parenting you can ever do is when you take your child aside and you say, listen, child, that thing I told you earlier, I was wrong. And being able to say I was wrong to Mm -hmm. your child Mm -hmm. is a huge, huge part of being a wonderful parent. (laughs) I, I feel like a podcast relationship is similar in a lot of ways. And so, you know, we can say, I still don't believe you. Or we can say, I was wrong, Jason. And, and, you know, you can decide which way you want your growth to go. You grew a lot last night in the Milwaukee cinema. Oh, uh, that's, there, there was, <laughs> it was a very important scene in the movie. And I'm, I'm glad you used the word a lot. <laughs> so... So with the understanding that our regular listeners, with the understanding that our regular listeners know that we are the young people are going to love Paul Rubens bit anyway. Yes, on on. January twenty first, we have been soliciting email questions for that. You can you can DM us on on Instagram. You can DM us on Twitter. Josh will give you all the details in just a second of how to do that. But to my original point, before I was horrifically derailed. If you're listening to this in the first uh, four days, three days mm-hmm. of this episode being live, please do still get your questions in for us. Uh, if, if it's a good one, we'll put it in front of, of John on the 21st. Failing that, we are still soliciting general email questions through January 31st for the episode that will be our annual mailbag episode. Mm-hmm. Which we've been getting a lot of questions. It's been terrific. Really, really terrific. And, yeah. and and seeing them come in from other countries has been really nice as well. That's so, been great, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's been lovely seeing the, the, the podcast expand. So, so, so many thanks for that. So yes, so email question. Now, Joshua. Okay. Um, please, how would a dear, dear listener communicate with us if they felt the need? Before I give them that, I just, I need, I need to clarify something you said here. Cause you said, send us in a question. If it's a good one, we'll put it in front of him. Yeah. Which implies that if it's a bad one, we will not. The fact of the matter. I 100% stand by that statement. Yes. However, (laughs) we probably already have 20 some odd questions from listeners mm. already. So it has to be a really, really good one. <laughs> and we have questions of our own. So if your question does not get selected, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad one. It just means we only have so much time with John Glazer. Although to be clear, it could have been a bad one. It could have been a bad yeah. one. Just to be and, clear. And we only pick the great ones. So are we trying to make this podcast great again? M make M T P G A Mutapuga. I can see the smoke coming out your ears as your your gears ground to a halt on that acronym. (laughs) 
So this is how one can get in touch with us. Perfect. You can email us, questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com. You could uh, send us a Facebook message. Go to Facebook, either on your phone or your laptop or what have you. Go to the search bar, look for One Nation Under Whiskey. Go to an internet cafe in uh, in the Czech Republic. (laughs) Yeah, hop on a plane, fly over to Scotland, drive to Kenna Craig, get on the ferry over to Isla, drive into Port Ellen and go to the internet or the cyber cafe. (laughs) And while you're on Isla, make sure you go to Kilholman and say, I hear you let people taste your yeast now. (laughs) Anthony will love that. Love that. Tell them, tell him Joshua Hanton said. Oh my gosh, please do not. Please do not. (laughs) He would be so happy to see you. Well, you'd have to speak with Robin Bignall because it was Robin that, (laughs) that, uh, let us taste the yeast. Anyway, you could tweet at us at One Nation Whiskey, or you could send us an Instagram message at One Nation Under Whiskey. And whiskey, of course, is always spelled without the E in our case. And uh, we've said it before. We'll say it again. Uh, we'd love to get a nice five-star review on iTunes, if you will. That helps us get into the ears of more people. And if you want to just let your friends know about us, too, that would be great. We always like to be in the ears of of good, fun whiskey folk. Did you see any new reviews go up over the holiday period? Jason, we received, oh my gosh, we received two new new ratings with some nice words. Hmm. So... I'm, I'm going to read this on, on, on air, if you don't mind, because this has me very excited. So both of these new reviews are actually from, oh, there's three actually, holy cow, um, are from uh, longtime listeners and longtime Single Cast Nation supporters. Hmm. The first one is from Jose A.R. Milk. Yep. I don't know, what do you think the A.R. stands for? As a Roman. As a, yeah, as a Roman. As a, yep, I'll leave it there. That's a good one. Um, <laughs> it's just titled Nerds. 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 Yes. And uh, he says, Get Nerdy with J&J. This podcast dives deep into the world of whiskey. And it's highly worth getting into if you want to learn more or just enjoy whiskey in general because they're such good friends. This pair of whiskey geeks have a great dynamic as hosts. Wonderful. Jose is a good, good lad. Yes, he is. Yes, and thank he you is. for all the support. And then Tam828 says, uh, incredibly informative with oh, interviews. Boy. Pump the brakes, Tam. Pump the brakes. <laughs> we, are, we are informative. I agree. Incredibly informative, I think, is is a bridge too far. Wow. With <laughs> interviews uh, with leaders in the whiskey industry. I mean, like that comment's getting edited out of the podcast. Your, your comment? <laughs> it did not resonate with you at all. <laughs> <laughs> I could always see you editing that in your mind while I was speaking. Well, no need to listen to this because it ain't going to be in the final copy. I edit everything you say. <laughs> Never mind. It says, love the interaction between the hosts as well. Lovely. Thank um, you, Tom. Oh, my gosh. And then 
Clifford T. Ray. Yep. Says, titled, Best Whiskey Podcast Out There. Holy oh boy. crap. And he says, Jason R. <laughs> That's funny. Jason uh, R. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Joshua and the words. Um, Josh, Jason and Josh. <laughs> Jason and Joshua are the best of the best. Oh, boy. Holy cow. The money store does it again. Okay. Finally. Oof. Finally, this is from Mike G1. What do you think G1 means? don't know. Is there anything like Mach 1? Maybe this is like Gravity 1. Oh. He lives his life at Mach 1, but he's always under the force of 1G. Is it kind of like DEFCON? Isn't 1G Def- what we all live our lives under? <laughs> I'm getting into physics realm now. I, I really don't know physics. Well, I'd like to have a few more Gs in that. But um, anyways, it says learn and laugh. Oh, Jesus. Learn and laugh. The most entertaining and educational liquor-focused podcast I've had the pleasure of following. Hosts are great. Guests are great. What more could you want? I've learned a great deal listening to J&J and looking forward to much more. Man, anyone who says J&J or sticks to gentlemen is, shows that they've got deep knowledge of the podcast. That's, that's a well-worked inside joke. So I, I love, love, love seeing that. Well, thank you sincerely to those people and their very, yes. very kind yeah. reviews. Uh, if you, dear listener, have not yet left a review, we would love, love, love for you to do so. And maybe we'll, we'll read out whatever we start to see here as well. Give a yeah. little name call on the episode as well. Um, we're going to leave the, the reviews in the space of where we would sometimes cover an email. Because as you rightly say, Joshua, we have got so many emails coming in for the for the yeah, mailbag episode that we will be recording somewhere between January 31st and February 15th mm-hmm. and dropping it on February 15th. We will do a deep dive into email for then. So mm-hmm. are we at the end of our time together? Jason, I think we finally met our end. Gosh. It's been a good run. It has been. But you know what? Let's pick it up again in two weeks. On one hand, I'm sorry that our time together has come to a close. On the other hand, I'm already looking forward to the next time we get to record together. As am I, Jason. And we will be in Scotland together likely when that happens, right? No? Uh, on on air production meeting at the end of an episode. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll let we'll let our listeners decide where we will be. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I guess January 29th will be the next episode after this one. Uh yeah, I, I guess so. I'm not looking at a calendar, so. Well, if this I, drops on the 15th and you add 14 to it, you get 29. You know what? And so it doesn't drop. Oh, it does drop on the <laughs> So <laughs> The whole time I've been I've been yelling at you for not being a math professor, and apparently you are a math professor. Ali Walker dropped on the first. Garden Bruce dropped on the fifteenth. Joshua has no idea when the next episode will drop. But you know what? I'm gonna drop my mic. <laughs> How much do we spend on those? Yeah, they're SM fifty eights, man. These things will oh, no. will survive a nuclear blast. Man. Sounds like your punk days all over again. Yep. Okay, home slice. All right. It's been a pleasure as always. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Catch you on the flippity flop. (laughs) Cheers, Josh. Cheers, Cheers. listeners. Cheers, brother. Catch you next time.
that doesn't even sound like glasses being clinked together. You're just clinking sample glasses and now a teacup and, and a sample bottle. <laughs> You're in a hotel room and it's early in my house, so piss off. <laughs> this is the end of the episode. Bye. Bye. <laughs>